0: Anderson Afternoons, the podcast.
1: Greg McPherson here, Executive Director of the West Broadway Community Organization. Greg, hello, good afternoon.
2: Hey, how you doing?
1: Great, thanks for jumping on here uh, for a few minutes. Tell me about this new book. It's a heck of a title here. Let me see if I can get it all in. Divide Prairie Neighborhood, West Broadway's Story of Hope, Challenge, and Resiliency. It really is an incredible story, uh, the West Broadway neighborhood, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think so it's a fascinating neighborhood it's uh you know I've lived in a lot of different cities in Canada and West Broadway holds up as one of the most interesting and uh, dynamic communities uh, we have so yeah this is a, a nice book that kind of chronicles chronicles the history over the last uh, 40 50 years and it's an easy read it's there's a lot of a lot of good stories that kind of tell the tell the tale of the neighborhood
1: who wrote it why was it written and uh, it, it's it's an interesting mix right because it, it has uh, some uh, academics to it. You know, it was, was written by uh, a couple of academics, but yet there's some great storytelling.
2: Yeah, the Institute of Urban Studies down at the University of Winnipeg has always taken an active interest in this community, I guess, uh, for a number of reasons academically. It's a, it is a really dynamic uh, market and, a, and a, a mix of populations that's quite interesting. But uh, yeah, there's also uh, some some community writers who are involved. One guy in particular, Mike Monder, uh who's been living in the neighborhood for many many years. Uh, he used to write for the Free Press and a number of other newspapers, and he tells a lot of stories uh, from personal experience. And he, he did a lot of interviews with people who were involved at the time uh, over the last 50 years. People who uh, helped to organize uh, events and and make the neighborhood uh, a stronger, better place for people to live. So. Yeah, It's a really interesting read. I'm, I'm re- I I got interviewed. I'm in there. There's a couple pictures of me in there, so I'm excited to, to be part of history, too.
1: Anything, and I mean, you're the executive director at the West Broadway Community Organization, anything in the book as you read the book and you went, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Any interesting tidbits, some facts in there maybe that even you didn't know?
2: yeah there's all sorts of stuff like that you know like i i make the i make the neighborhood that this is my life like i've been working for west broadway for the last uh, almost 15 years and and there were a lot of great stories just about the people who were involved in and you know uh, saving our our uh, community center like uh, the doors were almost closed at the time uh, people who c- came together and, and bought up old buildings and fixed them up and you know, there's this great story about Westminster Housing Society, a a group of people who just out of the kindness of their hearts, like a, you know, as a federal judge got involved and formed this organization that bought up old houses and fixed them up for people to rent at low low rates. And yeah, there's just so many great stories of people who, who, uh, who care about each other. They care about their community. And and, you know, we live in a time where people are, are, uh, are isolated and, and uh, a, lot, a lot of fractured relationships. People are moving all the time. So having a community that's sort of tight-knit, uh, it's a special thing. And, and yeah, the, the book really chronicles that well. So I, I recommend people take a look if they're interested in West Broadway.
1: You know, uh, we talked uh, a week or so ago here on CGOB about the various neighborhoods and neighborhood pride. And I know a few people from West Broadway. There is some pride in that neighborhood, I'll tell you.
2: <laughs> it's kind of a microcosm of Winnipeg. You know, like people, uh, Winnipeggers, when they go abroad, uh, like we make fun of ourselves a lot. Hey, eh? like we're, when we're amongst Winnipeggers, we'll 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 uh, cut into Winnipeg. But you go abroad, someone says something bad about Winnipeg. It's fighting words, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. And I think
2: West Broadway is the same way. We're very proud of what we have there. It's hard-earned, uh, a lot of good people trying really hard uh, and living through some difficulty uh, and, and, and you know, caring about each other, caring about their neighbors, caring about their neighborhood. And that's not something every, every community has. So we're, we're very fortunate, but it's, uh, we, we earned it.
1: Is the book available now? Because, listen, people have more time on their hands right now. It seems to me this would be a great Christmas gift.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know how many uh, the Institute of Urban Studies is putting it out. I don't know how many they printed, but if people go to the Institute of Urban Studies website, it's right there. It's right on the front page, so you can find out for sure, and that's easy to touch base with, uh, with the academics down there. They'll point you in the direction either of some printed copies uh, or certainly some free uh, PDF copies if you want to just read it on your computer or your tablet.
1: And uh, proceeds going anywhere specific, or, or what can you tell us about that?
2: Ah, I don't know. You know that's a, that's another question for the Institute of Urban Studies. I would not okay. doubt it. You know they've been they've been a wonderful partner for us mm-hmm. and for our community for years. So if there's any any money generated from this, my guess is it's probably going to go back into the neighborhood for sure.
1: Sure. Yeah. I just I wasn't sure on that. That's why I asked. Hey, Greg. Thanks a lot for this. I really appreciate it. Merry Christmas.
2: You too. And thanks for taking an interest. Merry Christmas as well. Take care.
1: Greg McPherson, Executive Director, West Broadway Community Organization. The book is called Divide the Prairie Neighborhood, West Broadway's Story of Hope, Challenge, and Resiliency. The Food Professor joins us now. Sylvain Charlebois, Senior Director, Agri-Foods Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Sylvain, good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon.
1: You know, I've heard you called the Food Professor before, and so I sort of refer to you as the food pro- uh, professor, and I wasn't, I was going to say, is that okay? But then I see on Twitter, that's your handle, you're the food professor.
0: <laughs> exactly, on LinkedIn as well. Just, it, it gives gives an opportunity for, for people who can't pronounce my actual name to just mm-hmm. say, you know, the food professor. much easier that way.
1: Yeah, well, and it boils it down, too, right? I mean, you talk about food, and you're a prof, so it makes sense. It, it also uh, makes a lot of sense exactly. and sort of simplifies things. Exactly. Hey, um, this new food, sur- I, I hope it's okay, I want to ask you a few things, because you and I don't chat that often, uh, but let's start with this new food survey, and we're talking a little bit today about how we're not feeling all that Christmassy, right? We're a week away from Christmas, and it just doesn't feel right, and obviously the pandemic... Uh, Is affecting that. Um, It would seem that the pandemic is also affecting uh, the way we're looking at 2021 in the sense of diet and eating healthier. A year ago, 42% said that was uh, a goal, uh, changing the diet and eating healthier. This year, only 30%.
0: Yes, I I was a bit surprised. Uh, Weren't you surprised as well?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. but but it kind of makes sense. But it kind of makes sense, and I'll tell you why, Sylvan. Um, I do a column in the Sun every Saturday and every Sunday. On Sunday, it's Hal's Kitchen. It's a food column, uh, uh, interestingly enough. And I was talking in my column tomorrow. I was just putting the finishing touches on it today, and I was talking about uh, New Year's resolutions. Now, I don't have a New Year's resolution every year. Uh, but normally, if I had one, by now it would be locked down. I'd have it nailed. But you know what? I haven't even given that any thought. So I can see where this is maybe impacting people and, and what they're looking at when it comes to the future.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I honestly uh, think that the survey results uh, reflect uh, a, a mixed bag of emotions, uh, uh, anxiety uh, uh, and, and mostly some excitement towards uh, 2021 with uh, with the uh, word that uh, we are going to get vaccinated at the, at some point and and, and we'll, we'll end this terrible pandemic um, so, but what i was really surprised and this is the second year we've done this we compare we basically survey the same people at the same time every year and it was kind of interesting to compare uh, 2020 with 2021, and only to realize that most people kind of think the same way when it comes to food affordability and and habits that they're not necessarily willing. I mean, they're willing to change habits, but it's very the results were similar to last year's, which I thought was interesting.
1: Hmm, and I thought it was interesting too that not only are uh, we thinking less about changing our diet and eating better in the new year, but we're thinking more about others. We're more willing more of us are willing to donate to say for example, a food bank
0: isn't that nice? yeah it's incredible I mean last year or so last year we there were there there was a an interesting percentage of people wanted to get to food banks uh, for twenty twenty but uh, given what we've gone through. A lot more people. I mean, the the number of Canadians uh, recognizing that food banks have a role to play and, and recognizing that many Canadians will need food banks to survive in the year uh, coming uh, has doubled. That's that's that, we didn't expect that at all. So it, this is great, and uh, and when we saw that, well. We need to release results as soon as possible because it's a good news story, and and I think we all need that right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Before I move on to a couple other things I want to ask you about, any other interesting findings that you want to touch on?
0: Uh, The the online phenomena, uh, clearly growing uh, compared to last year. Last year, some people wanted to to go online and shop more often. This year, it's actually double, uh, more than double, in fact. And the other thing is gardening. Uh, Yeah, a lot more people uh, intend to garden in 2020 versus 2020. Not much of a surprise because we all know that one Canadian in five actually started a garden this year. And so we are expecting that phenomenon to continue.
1: Yeah, and, and I've got a story, in fact, today, if I have time for it where one of the other good things that's come from the pandemic is people are becoming nature lovers. People are spending more time outside. Yeah. We don't have a lot of options. They're spending more time outside, and they're enjoying being outside. And gardening is, that doesn't surprise me. Gardening uh, was very popular, and I'm sure it will be even more popular um, this coming spring and, and into summer. Okay, so I wanted to ask you um, about, uh, we were talking the other day about how Christmas dinner is going to look different and I was checking online today, there are a ton of restaurants that are prepared to be open on Christmas and cook your Christmas dinner, whether it's for you alone, you and your husband, your wife, a significant other, a kid or two, or if you want, they'll deliver the whole damn turkey. Turkey, dinner, everything. Um, restaurants are really trying to take advantage of the situation they find themselves in right now
0: oh absolutely absolutely and And I certainly would encourage uh anyone who can afford it to uh, to support your local restaurants and I know in Winnipeg there 's lots of good restaurants uh, around and uh yeah it's it 's a tough go for for them for the sector but uh, i i w- i would, i would be i wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of innovation coming out of Of the restaurant sector for the holidays and we're already hearing all sorts of great ideas coming out of the sector and uh yeah if you can uh, if you have time if you can then i would actually just pick up a phone and and call your favorite restaurant to order something in
1: Mm -hmm. and uh, you know it's funny grocers like monthers eat at food fair was on last week or maybe it was even this week i can't remember now um uh, talking about how you would think smaller turkeys and smaller hams would be sort of the order of the day because, you know, people are in their bubbles and cooking for themselves. And while that is the case, they're also seeing the big birds happening as well because people are cooking and then packaging those meals and sending them off to family and friends, which is really cool.
0: It, It is really cool, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of things going on. In our family, we're we're planning to do uh, different goofy things uh, together on Zoom, of course, and uh, and we're going to be doing it safely together at the same time in real time, and so yeah, I, I think this is about attitude, really. This is about, and this is a special time of year, and uh, even though we can we can't be physically together uh just the just the 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 idea of doing something together but uh, remotely is is also something special that we need to embrace
1: yeah final question um i heard you on the start the other day talking about the top food stories of the year um which i found really interesting and i'm wondering you know because of the pandemic as we head into a new year you mentioned innovation during our conversation here this afternoon what do you think we will see differently, whether it's in the restaurant industry or whether it's at grocery stores? What's going to be different? What will happen during COVID that will stick on an ongoing basis?
0: I think it's telecommuting. Uh, I think more people will be working from home Uh, coming out of the pandemic. uh, The financial case on both sides uh, is very strong. So employees' Uh, We'll save money. Uh, You don't have to buy as as much clothes. You don't have to spend money on gas, bus passes, things like that. And on the other side, with employers, and we actually ran a survey recently, 23% of employers in Canada are thinking of allowing their staff to work from home on a regular basis after the pandemic. So. That and that will change your relationship with food. If you're close to the kitchen, your own kitchen, you will do different things. You will consume uh, differently, and you will. <laughs> you will yep. Yeah, you'll, you'll, your connection with food is just going to change altogether.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know uh, we're we're uh, shopping for groceries more online, having those groceries delivered more. Uh, I think our relationship with restaurants is going to change. It's just yeah. going to be interesting to see. Uh, you know once we all get vaccinated and herd immunity is happening and we sort of get through this pandemic it's going to be interesting to see what sticks what changes what goes back to the way it was
0: we're we're social beasts and we're inherently nomads Uh, so as soon as as we can fly to a different place i i think a lot of people will don't get me wrong but uh, I think we're leaving 2020 with a better understanding of how food systems work. For the longest time, we, I think we wanted a transparency. We wanted to uh, to know where our food came from, what's in our food, et cetera. But 2020 was about understanding food systems, the empty shells. Why did it happen? And uh, why are people behaving erratically and panic? buying was going on with toilet paper and everything. I mean, I think we are leaving 2020 with a better understanding of, of food systems, of the virus, of course, and, and human behavior uh, when dealing with food. So I think it makes us better altogether.
1: Yeah, let's hope so, eh? Hey, Sylvain, yeah. thank you very much. Probably won't talk to you before Christmas. All the best.
0: Happy holidays.
1: Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is with us now, DrCyrus.com, D-R-S-Y-R-A-S.com. Cyrus, hello, good afternoon. Hey, Hal, how are you doing? Great. Um, Now, quick question. Yes, quick question. What is uh, Mm -hmm. next Friday? Next Friday is actually uh, Christmas Day, so I guess we won't be doing this next Friday. (laughs) And then we won't be doing (laughs) it on. And then we won't be doing it on the following Friday because that's January first, New Year's Day. So I won't talk to you for a few weeks. Oh my goodness! What are we going to do, Hal? (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't know, but I know I'm going to wish you a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New yeah. Year now.
3: You too, and to everybody yep. out there, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, let's get to the uh, stuff that we've talked about uh, chatting about here today. First headline, where is that fine line between terror and the light? You know, there are so many things in life, right, where there is such a fine line and absolutely terror and delight are two things, uh, you you know, that fall under this category. So uh, help us understand this. Why and um, where is that fine line?
3: Well, there does seem to be a Goldilocks effect here where a little bit is not enough and too much is too much. So there is a U-shaped curve here where people enjoy more kind of in this middle range where they do like to be scared. And I sometimes talk about this actually with clients when they experience a panic attack. And it's like, so you have this panic attack, which is this kind of physiological, you know, fast heart rate, rapid breathing, you know, sweaty palms, all these different people have different symptoms. And, and and they're, they're terrified of these And they're terrified of the symptoms themselves Mm -hmm. Um, because they think they might die or or something like that. And and obviously, it's good to get these things checked to make sure that it is a panic attack. But then we talk about it, and I'm like, well, you know, people actually pay for these experiences. People want to go on roller coasters sometimes or or things like this. And I mean, it's odd to kind of have one in the middle of the grocery store. Um, But honestly, like, you might not even notice a panic attack if it's in the right context. So, like, if you're running from a bear and you get away, you know, you're not going to say, wow, I, that was some panic attack. You're going to say, look, at, I was chased by a bear. You wouldn't even notice that you had been breathing hard and that your heart had been racing. And I mean, you mm-hmm. would have noticed, I guess, but it wouldn't be the big deal about the event.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: uh, so, yes, so we, we experience this fear, and we, we sometimes really like it, and it is a bit kind of in the middle. Um, and uh, honestly, even though the article says that there is this kind of fine line and exactly where it is, it's, it's, it is just basically this idea that it's somewhere in the middle men tend to like it a little bit more than women um they tend to like kind of being afraid a little bit more and uh but other than that it is just kind of this goldilocks effect but there is a good question which is kind of why right
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and you mentioned roller coasters another one is we go and see scary movies right Mm, uh that's another example of that but here's my question for you is Mm -hmm. it that we like being scared or we like the feelings that we're experiencing because a lot of the things that we experience when we're scared are the things we experience when we're excited or when we're enjoying mm-hmm. something. So are we are we really enjoying the fear or are we enjoying the adrenaline rush and the other symptoms that come with fear because they're similar to excitement and, and good things?
3: You know, I it wasn't in this article, but there is an interesting study that was done where they had people go on dates, and they kind of randomly assigned people to go on dates. And some of them would go, you know, on the typical dinner in a movie, and some of them would go on this, they put, they made them randomly go on this uh, big rope bridge over a canyon or something like this. Anyway, a, a kind of a scary experience. And they found that the couples that had gone on the rope bridge liked each other more at the end of the evening than the people who had gone to the dinner in a movie. And we're not talking <laughs> about horror movies here, just kind of yeah. a regular thing. Right. So what they were saying is, you know, you experience something like fear and you can confuse it with excitement.
1: So mm-hmm. they're similar.
3: Like it's like you think, you know, you're actually afraid of the bridge, but you think you actually like the guy because uh you know, you you confuse your fear with like liking of your partner. And so this is where sometimes, you know, maybe it actually is a good idea for guys to go and get a fast car or something like this. Obviously try to drive safely, but you know, if you can scare your data a little bit, you might actually uh, have a little bit of, of more success in getting them to like you because these things are kind of confusing. Um, and so there is that. And I think, you know, that's, that's a great point. Another one here is that we get fascinated. Uh, maybe you know, they make the point here or this evolutionary argument almost that we get or this adaptive argument that we get fascinated with threat. And I, in our play, when people play, when even when primates play, they fight. Because these are the things that they're gonna to have to do later in life. And so we're fascinated with threat with the things that we're gonna to have to do. So we play at them in order to learn about ourselves and to practice and get better. And so oftentimes when we are kind of scaring ourselves or doing these things, we're learning about ourselves. We're learning about how to how we respond. We, you know, when we watch reality TV or something like that, we're like we're studying these dramatic things in order to be able to Kind of know how to cope with them ourselves in the future, and a lot of these scary things are kind of about learning about our responses or experiencing them. So I think there's a few different things. I don't think it's
1: just mm-hmm. one. Yeah. All right. Next headline. How much are you willing to sacrifice for your relationship? Good question. Boy, it kind of depends on the relationship, doesn't it? Yeah, and it does seem to matter. I
3: mean, like people um, do seem to have negative effects from uh, sacrificing too much in their relationship. And so what they were finding in this article is that the willingness to sacrifice was very good for a relationship. You want to have a partner who's willing to sacrifice for maybe more obvious reasons, like it communicates love and caring and all of these things. And so that's what you want, but it does make a difference. So if you go and you have your partner sacrificing a lot and it becomes, it can become burdensome and can actually hurt the relationship in the end. So even though you might pick a partner or find a partner who's willing to sacrifice, you have to be careful. Um, You have to be careful, one, in asking your partner to sacrifice too much. And you also have to be careful as a partner in sacrificing too much because oftentimes people will feel like they're a superhero emotionally. Well, I mean, I can't lift a million pounds, but I can lift a million pounds with my emotions. Like, I just feel like, oh, I can handle that. I can sacrifice that and still love you. I won't resent you. Well, maybe they will. And hmm. it, it can be a reality that actually ends up hurting the person. So if you sacrifice too much for your partner, you have to be careful because you might actually end up hurting your relationship with them when you later resent them for it or have negative feelings right. or feel
1: like it's a burden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've all done that, right? To some degree, mm-hmm. at some level in a relationship, we've all you know, said, well, this relationship's important to me. It's going to carry on. But then you're right. If you bite off more than you can chew, it might come back later on and and make you feel differently about that relationship.
3: It's a very tricky thing to become assertive and to a degree selfish or self-caring or taking care of yourself in order to actually help your partner. And that can be an odd thing. I mean, we see it in different places, like, you know, put your own air mask or whatever thing on in your airplane before the kid. Uh, you know, you have to take care of yourself so you can take care of others and that happens in relationships because if you damage yourself, you can end up having problems. So it can actually be a problem sometimes. You know, to be too self-sacrificing and I would imagine also the opposite. If you're not sacrificing enough, if you're not willing to sacrifice, it communicates like, I don't care about you. So you want to have that middle ground and you have to be careful about it for your partner and for yourself.